0: Super overzealous this week and I <laughs> switched out both my microphone so it would stop like Fuzzing in and out. Uh-huh. And I switched out your mic stand so it stopped falling over. Well,
1: thank you. Yeah.
0: I really... I was making big changes. I was feeling like <laughs> I really
1: needed to make some big moves, and this is what they were. Well, I love it. You know, I felt a different vibe coming in here. I was like... <laughs> and I also feel like the screen is bigger.
0: Yes. I minimized all the, like, controls at the bottom. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everything. Okay. Everything's a change in. A whole new world. Yeah. Summertime... So cool. I Definitely. needed it. It needed everything to be good. Yeah. Um, but we're not here to talk about <laughs> background information.
1: <laughs> no, we're here to talk about her On the box. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women
0: and non fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance.
1: But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And.
0: We're not historians.
1: No. So we're going to get facts wrong. We're going to get people
0: wrong. We're going to get places wrong.
1: Pronunciations wrong, for sure. We try, but. I
0: say things in different languages sometimes and it's the wrong words. Yeah. So there's a lot wrong going on. Um, I know we have a new patron. (gasps) Really? Didn't write
1: down the name. So we'll report on that next week. Yeah. Oh, welcome. But we'll report on that next week. Yeah. I don't know. And we will thank them because we love new patrons, just people in the community. It's so fun. It really is
0: fun. And you'll get a welcome, like, present in the mail. And then we post little extra tidbits, which Mm -hmm. I'm excited about this week because I want to see what you think about something.
1: Oh, okay. Can't wait. I'm always completely blindsided by them, so. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Um, Okay. But you're busy. You're so busy. (laughs) I can't even remember what we said last week, but. I'm looking at a tree, and you are just pruning your trees in your yard.
0: You might be. Either that or you're driving to vacation. That's what people do during the summer. That's a good one. It's one or the other.
1: Um, I was thinking like you're slathering sunscreen on, but I feel like I already said that one. Yeah. Well, we're going to be off tonight because we
0: haven't recorded in a long time. (laughs) We haven't. (laughs) You guys think we've recorded, but really, it's been a while because I went on vacation and we back-ended some ahead of time. You were in Tennessee. I was. Just in the south. Al heartland Parkland, land of
1: airy bible belt america <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: grand it was a grand
0: old time <laughs> but you're busy doing whatever it is you do during the summer just like we have been busy and like mushing all our episodes together so you mm-hmm. don't have time to google these women and see what they look like no
1: so we're gonna describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head while we're telling their stories we're gonna get a little physical physical, physical. Ali, who are you doing, and what does she look like?
0: Well, everybody knows what my woman looks like. <laughs> I'm doing Sonia Sotomayor, and Sonia is a Puerto Rican-American woman with short black hair that's usually parted to the side and either feathered or curled at the ends. She's a round face with a light-skinned complexion. She t- sometimes wears thick-rimmed glasses, but um, most often has on bright red lipstick, Although you'll occasionally see her in a smart business suit, she's typically in her black robes as a justice. Mm, very exciting. So, who are you doing and what does she look like?
1: I am doing Vijayalakshmi Vadlapatiya. Badlapati, um, <laughs> it's a mouthful, aka Silk Smitha. <laughs> Say I'm going to stick with silk because it is much easier. And I really like, I practice this pronunciation like all day. Um, so Vijay Lakshmi, which I think is pretty bright on on her first name. Anyways, she is a 5'6 Indian uh, woman with caramel colored skin, long dark hair, which is sometimes in braids. Sometimes it's kind of like just swooped off to the side, but it's always kind of like Just done up and like in motion. Um, And sometimes it's adorned with some jewelry. Um, She has very rounded features, like really like full plump lips and these huge doe-like eyes, which often feature heavy makeup to accentuate them. Um, And she has a famously voluptuous figure, which is typically on full view in her movies because she is often... Wearing rather skimpy outfits.
0: Ooh, what a difference
1: already. So
0: that's what she looks like. We're going to have to see if these women have anything in common. Yeah, I'm worried about it. Do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. Um, I'm a little nervous about this drink. (laughs) Um, It's called what? Like it's hard in a reference to Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. Perfect. And um, it is three to four... Look at that fox.
1: <gasps> Whoa. Wow. I, I, foxes are always so much like thinner than I think they will be. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Okay. It's three to four muddled strawberries.
0: Mm. Uh, and then two ounces of tequila. One ounce uh, or a half ounce per drink. I put in one ounce for both of us. Um, of this black pepper sour mix that okay. I made. Which is a third of a cup of black pepper, two cups of simple syrup, and one cup of fresh lemon juice. Ooh. And then I put in a half an ounce of triple sec, and I rimmed the glass with a third salt, a third sugar, and a third pepper. So,
1: solgepper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very Cheers! confusing drink.
2: hmm <laughs> I like it. I'm interested. Yeah. I don't know
0: what flavor is hitting me. All I know once, it's too many things. It is a lot. It,
1: it's 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 a lot of things. <laughs> also, there's like definitely like some pulp in here too. Oh yeah, which you also have to, have to experience. You have to chew through. Hmm. Mm. I like it. I feel like it has the smokiness of Mezcal without having any Mezcal in it. Yeah,
0: that's very interesting. You're right. It Mm -hmm. does. Hmm. I guess it's just that the pepper kind of adds that um, deepness to the tequila. Mm -hmm.
1: I like the pepper. We've never, I don't know if we've ever used pepper in a cocktail. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Danger. I was really worried because usually when I do something off the rails, it ends up really, really bad. Okay. So tell me what you know about Sonia Saltamayor.
1: I know that she's a justice. Mm -hmm. And now I know that she's Puerto Rican. (laughs) And that is all I know. Okay. I don't know. She wasn't the first one for sure. Right? No. No. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, that's all I know.
0: Wait, not the first woman?
1: Yeah, not the first woman. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah, that was Sandra Day O'Connor. That's right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, no, I don't know anything about her. Yeah, I didn't
0: either. And I'm like blown away by her story. So here's the sources I used. There, I used the Such Nasty Women podcast. I used Wikipedia. I used pieces of her autobiography, My Beloved World, which apparently is the most open and vulnerable a, a sitting judge has ever been in wow. Like a book. It's very straightforward. Mm. And the only other thing I knew about her before we started – this research this week was a remember Amal Clooney had worked under her as a paralegal Mm -hmm. and then i was doing research for someone else and she was being interviewed and she was saying in the interview yeah it's hard because when you're a strong woman people perceive you as a bitch and she said that on the interview and i was like i didn't know justices were allowed to cuss
1: Right, and, and that <laughs> which just, is silly to think of like people literally not being allowed yeah, to, she's but like, like full grown adult. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing. I feel like they. It's not that they're not allowed to. It's like they're not supposed to. Right. And we need people like her to like be like breaking the mold and be like, no, no, like I'm an adult. I can say bitch if I want to. Yeah,
0: and that's pretty much how her story's gonna go. Okay, <laughs> let's get into it. All right. So. Sonia was born, Sonia Marie Sotomayor, in New York City in 1954. Her parents lived in the Bronx. Her dad was Juan and her mom was Selena. They were both born in Puerto Rico. Her parents did not meet in Puerto Rico, though. They met in the United States proper. Her dad was a factory worker and an alcoholic and... His father had died, so their family moved to New York to make a better life for themselves. So that's why her dad was here. And then her mother's mother, so Sonia's grandmother, died in Puerto Rico when her mom was really young. And her dad had already abandoned the family. So I'm going to go into a little bit about Sonia's mother because I think it adds to Sonia's story. Mm -hmm. So her mom is orphaned, living in Puerto Rico. Her older siblings adopt her, but they don't really know how to raise a kid. So anytime she steps out of line, they beat her. And she's like living in this oh my God. terrified state. So when her mom is 16, the U.S. comes to Puerto Rico looking to recruit people for the Women's Army Corps for World War II. So her mom's like, hell yes, get me out of here. So she um goes to the interview passes the interview and then pulls a mila kunis and's like yeah i'll be 18 look at her uh-huh and they're like okay well we just need a birth certificate so her siblings come up with a bogus birth certificate for her her and some girls to make a long story short get on this plane end up in the northeast u.s it's like freezing cold they're in like Puerto Rican clothing and somebody like takes pity on them and takes them to Macy's to get warm clothes
1: oh my gosh so this is Sonia's mother yeah this is her story right oh my god Sonia's
0: mother and Sonia's father came here because his parents had died and they wanted to make a better life or his dad had died so his mom moved the kids here so both of her parents end up in New York then Juan and Selena meet and they get married and they get a small spot in the Bronx and then Sonia's on the way. Like right away. Here we go. Her dad only had a third grade education and did not speak English. He was a tool and die worker his entire life. Her mom was a telephone operator and then eventually a nurse. Sonia's younger brother later became a physician and a university professor at Syracuse. So there's like Good blood in this family. Oh this my a God. Really smart
2: kids. Jesus
0: Christ. I know. <sighs> so Sonia's raised Catholic and grew up in a Puerto Rican community in the South and East Bronx. The project housing that she lived in was relatively close to Yankees Stadium, which led to her being a lifelong
1: Yankees mm-hmm. fan. Is she really? Yeah. <laughs> I love a woman who's into baseball. Yeah. I always think of Miranda Hobbs, with obviously, with a ball cap. With the ball cap. <laughs> good eye! <laughs> good eye i love her mm-hmm. i just love it because like again people like don't expect it like yeah. i was listening to harry potter and the sacred text today and someone was like i love that mcgonagall is like so fucking into quidditch yeah, yeah, yeah. Like- <laughs> anyways
0: yeah it's true and i love i would love a picture of her in her justice room yes, with a um- yankee cap mm-hmm. i did see her. too in- partial I did see her in a Washington jersey, though, because I think she threw out a pitch in D.C., (gasps) like a first pitch. For a Nats game? Mm -hmm. That's very cute. So I saw her in that jersey, and I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Okay. Also, living in the projects, her entire extended family lived with them, sometimes in their apartment, sometimes in apartments next to them. So her father's mom, her aunts, her uncles, her cousins, they're all living in these, like, small Bronx neighborhoods in New York. And other than that, she visited Puerto Rico all the time. Every summer they would go down there. But outside of those two exposures, the projects in the Bronx and Puerto Rico during the summer, she didn't really know much else. Yeah. That was it. That was her entire childhood. As I said, Sonia's dad was an alcoholic, but also her mother was really emotionally distant. Mm. Um, She was the closest to her grandmother, who she later said gave her a source of protection and purpose. But it's important to remember that her mother was supporting a family pretty much by herself because her father wasn't making a lot of money and spending all the money he made on alcohol. And she was so distant because they were latchkey kids. She was, like, working night shift and day shift and, like, trying to make money. Mm. She shared a room with her mom, and her dad shared a room with her brother, and her dad did much of the domestic housework for the mom – Um, He would go and buy groceries and he would do the cleaning because he knew he just wasn't bringing in as much money. Mm -hmm. When she was seven or eight years old, Sonia gets diagnosed with type one diabetes.
1: Oh, no. As a child? As a child.
0: So type one is the one you typically get diagnosed with as a kid. That's the one where your body doesn't make enough sugar and you have to get an insulin shot every day. So her entire life she's gotten insulin shots every day
1: oh my god yeah. i like don't i can't even comprehend diabetes yeah like type I, two
0: is like develops later if like your body i believe has too much sugar okay type one is when your body doesn't create the right amount of sugar
1: oh my gosh it just sounds like something you have to be so careful with all oh, yeah. the time
0: because if your blood sugar's not right you could pass out like right and go into like diabetic comas yeah it's really dangerous oh so we didn't know as much about type 1 diabetes back then. So when she first went to the hospital, she was in there for, like, over a week. And they're trying to figure out what's wrong Ugh. with her. I and mean, this is an immigrant family without a lot of money. I, the
1: medical bills. I can't even imagine. It's
0: terrible. And, like I said, she needs an insulin shot every day from the time she was eight. And these are, like, back in the day, it was, or today, it's like a finger prick where mm-hmm. we can test your blood sugar and blah, blah, blah. Back yeah. then, it's, like, full-scale syringe-sized needles. Ugh. Every day of her life. Her dad felt uncomfortable giving her shots. And her mom was like, I'm a nurse. I do this all day. Can you please help? And Sonia was tired of her parents fighting about it. So she would walk to the Jacoby Medical Research Center in her neighborhood every day, get the supplies, bring it home, sterilize the needle on her <sighs> gas stove that oh she lit God. with a match, and put insulin in it, making sure it's the right dose, and then give herself the shot at eight years old. What? Every day. I know. She's like a baby. And back then, they would tell you, if you got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you were likely to die by 30. So her lifespan is now god 30
2: years old
1: i would panic if like the vhs wasn't completely rewound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and usually i was the one not rewinding it right. so this is an unbelievable amount of responsibility <laughs> yeah. for a child she's a little tiny baby <sighs> and
0: it's expensive but as it turns out and this is something i didn't know about her she is a role model for the diabetes community <gasps> like there's a lot of people who look to her as like a look what you can do like you can live through this
1: That's so great because I know, like, it's something I think it's, like, people pass off, but, Mm -hmm. like, so they're kind of, like, an overly recognized community so that everyone doesn't really think about it a lot and doesn't think about how serious it can be. Like, (laughs)
0: And it's just, like, okay, you have diabetes. Good. They're, like, like, whatever. And it's, like, no, this is really (laughs) difficult. It's hard for me, and it's good to see somebody really successful dealing with it. (laughs) So... She and her brother went to Catholic school in the Bronx, and she felt that she was not the smartest in her class, but she put herself around the other smart kids and modeled herself after what they were doing, mm. which is kind of like what Michelle Obama said she did in the yeah. book Becoming. Furthermore, the kids had to speak English at school, and Sonia didn't speak English. She's not a native English speaker. Oh her my parents God. spoke Spanish at home, so she's going to this school in New York. In in grade school and for the first time, like having to deal with English. Now, like her mom could speak English because she worked at hospitals and stuff, but her dad couldn't.
1: And also, again, going and getting her own medical supplies yeah. while not speaking English. Yeah, it's That's like so it rough. was a
0: very limited language for her. So then, you know, when she's nine years old, her father dies of heart problems. He was 42 years old. And her mom goes into a serious depression. After her dad dies um, And she becomes more distant than she was before And Sonia is kind of like Crying about it at the viewing and the funeral And her aunts are like Toughen up yeah. Your mom needs you right now yeah. You need to be the rock of this family And she's like are you kidding I'm nine <laughs> um, And it was the same way they treated her diabetes Be tough be private It's no one else's business Just deal oh with it
1: my god I know
0: I couldn't believe it so her mom would get home from work, lock herself in her bedroom and cry. And she's stuck at home in the projects without air conditioning in a tiny apartment in the hot, hot summer and bored out of her mind. So in comes the hero of every story. The library. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, okay. Every day. Flashes
1: of Matilda. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> every day she walks to the library and she's just so impressed. She's like, oh my gosh, there's so many books. I'll never run out. Oh my God. That's the sweetest thing. <laughs> That's so cute. I will never run out. <clears throat> One day, her mom came home and went to her room and shut the door. And Sonia had had enough. So she goes and pounds on the door and's like, Mom, get your shit together. You've got two kids to raise. You need to raise us. Mm I was like a 10-year-old telling her mom to get it together. So her mom switched her shift at the hospital so she could spend more time with the kids. Sonia took her grocery shopping to show her all the things her dad used to buy to cook meals. (laughs) And as an added bonus, her mom decided to start speaking English at home to help them with their education. Oh, my God. So things are starting to get a little better.
1: Okay. A little bit. (laughs) Thank God. I know.
0: (laughs) So Sonia watched a lot of TV and read a lot of books, and she says that she was first inspired by the strong-willed Nancy Drew (gasps) book (gasps) hero. Oh my gosh.
1: Alum. alum, True
0: heroine. An alum of the show. And she wanted to be a detective. She just loved Nancy Drew and wanted to be a detective. But after the diabetes diagnosis, when she first got it, the doctors give you back then a list of jobs you can't do in the future. Oh, Oh my God. And like detective is one of them.
1: What? What a specific, (laughs) specific job Uh that you can't do. Like, I understand. Like, look, you can't be a crane operator. (laughs) Like, we don't want you going in like diabetic shock while you're like demolishing a house. (laughs)
0: Demolitioning. Demolitioning. uh,
1: Like a building
0: yeah I mean (laughs) or whatever it was mostly things where like we don't want you up and like exerting yourself and like detective apparently you're up and exerting yourself
1: I guess okay Mm. (laughs) I I don't know you shouldn't give a child a list of things that they can't do that they can't be I wish that you could I wish it was framed in a way of like people who have diabetes and are still successful are like lawyers and these jobs and judges
2: and plant
1: people horticulture
0: it wasn't like framed like that back then i'm sure it is now but it was not (laughs) so she's reading books she's watching tv and in the middle of the day what comes on besides court TV shows. Uh, So she starts seeing like this judge on TV and she's like, judge isn't on the list of things I can't do. uh, I want to be a judge uh, at like 10 years old. Like I want to be a judge. So her mother actually did put a big stress on the value of education and bought them a set of encyclopedias, which is not something you saw in the housing projects. They were like really expensive to have the full a to Z set of like encyclopedia Britannica so she finishes grade school as the valedictorian, of course, <laughs> valedictorian, valedictorian <laughs> as a, um, somebody who came in as not a native English That's speaker. That's
1: incredible. I know.
0: So she then passed the entrance test to Cardinal Spellman High School in the Bronx, and she was on the forensics team, which isn't like the forensics detective. It's like the speaking team. And in competition, there's a few topics, kind of like a debate team. Okay. There's a few topics you could prepare for, and then there was one you had to do on the fly. And when she gets to her on the fly section, she does an impassioned piece about Kitty Genovese that had just gotten murdered in (gasps) New York. (laughs) Yes, she does. What the hell? Another alum. I know. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Unbelievable. So uh, it's just crazy to me that all these people are coming up in her story. So then she's elected to student government. Her family's housing project had fallen victim to increased heroin use and crime and the emergence of gangs. So her mom decided to take the cool mom role. And to be clear, they did move around the projects a lot anytime they could to get to like a little bit of a better area, but she Mm -hmm. grew up entirely in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Um, Her mom decides to be the cool mom. And she's like, this is the house where the kids will come. If they come here, it keeps them away from being out there. (laughs) So one day, like they were being loud and rowdy and the neighbors called the cops and the neighbors came and her mom comes out and she's like, go away. This is my home. And then she goes and yells at all the neighbors and is like, are you kidding me? They're here. Right. They could be out there. Yeah. Like, don't. Okay, they're being
1: loud and safe here. Right. Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. That's a better thing. Jesus Christ. So none of
0: them ever called the cops again after she yelled at them. That's nice. It is. (laughs) So now that she's in high school, she has to take Spanish. Whereas before, she was told not to speak Spanish. So she and the other Puerto Rican kids were put in an advanced Spanish course. And, like, a week or two in, all the kids were like, hard stop, senorita XYZ. We are don't know Spanish grammar right we've been speaking Spanish our whole lives but you need to take us back to
1: square one as well I feel like it would be like yeah going into like a college level English course just straight off the bat like dissect this sentence and you're like what are you talking about yeah
0: like out of eighth grade going (laughs) to a college level course and they're just like no we don't know all the complexities of Spanish we just speak it So, the teacher was really cool and, like, backed up and, like, rechanged all of her lesson plans, which is great. That's nice. And she also started working summer jobs at the shops where her aunt worked but did end up getting a part-time position at the hospital where her mom worked and worked in admin, like, filing papers or something. One day, she's on the way to work at the hospital, and she kind of stumbles and drops her purse in front of a police officer and all of her diabetes stuff comes out, which looks like a syringe, like, looks like
1: drug yeah, paraphernalia. Drug paraphernalia.
0: And she had to, like, is scared to death. And she had to, like, stand there and argue with him and, like, get him to come to the hospital with her so that the doctors could say to him she has diabetes. Because she's like, I have diabetes. And he's like yeah sure which I mean good on him he's probably doing his job he's heard a million excuses but also like look at the bottle It probably says insulin on it
1: right but also like if it was like a white woman he would not have even he'd be like oh right. I'm so sorry totally like, different you know what too. I'm saying like, and also
0: he's a beat cop in the Bronx I don't know what the hell he's seen yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to know Yeah, but yeah absolutely right there was a total double standard there where she's just like I please come with me but yeah. he did eventually go with her to the hospital and they were like It's fine. She's fine. She actually has diabetes. Jesus. I know. Every day in her life was crazy. So then it is time to go to college. She goes to visit her guidance counselor and is like, I'm looking at Harvard, Princeton, Yale. And the guidance counselor is like, yeah, have you thought about community college? And she's like, sure. Thanks for the guidance. Okay. See you later. (laughs) So she scrounges up a whole bunch of bus fares. Over time and goes to visit these colleges around. You know, New York's a good central point, actually, Mm -hmm. for all the Ivy League schools. She decides to go to Princeton and gets in on a full scholarship, no less. Oh, my God. People in her community start treating her with a ton of respect. They're like, our girl from the Bronx got into Princeton. This is incredible. But... People at her school, specifically some white teachers at her school, start treating her very condescending. And one person in particular said, well, I hope you know you got in only because of affirmative action. Oh, come the fuck
1: on. What is wrong with people? To a teenage girl. Why would you say that to a teenage girl? You're a grown ass human. Why just said say that to anyone? Right. Like well, you don't deserve to be here. This is exactly why people like women especially have had imposter syndrome for so long. Right. It's like you just got here because we needed more of your numbers. Mm-hmm. It's like fuck you. Yeah. Like how rude. <laughs> Maybe I just got here on my merit. Yeah, I just got here because I'm actually better than all the men here.
0: Right. And a couple of things that are crazy. It's like, A, Princeton had only started letting in women three years earlier. (laughs) So that's like what affirmative action's for. Yeah. B, she was a person of color. C, she graduated valedictorian of her senior class. So she was the smartest kid in her class. And D, so what if affirmative action had something to do with it? That's the point of affirmative action. Yeah. To make you look at somebody that they would have otherwise not looked at. Exactly. So easy. God.
1: (laughs) Not everyone can be captains of their high school crew team.
0: <laughs> His name her name is not William Jefferson the Eighth.
1: I-, I just couldn't.
0: So she praises affirmative action, saying, quote, It creates the condition whereby students from disadvantaged backgrounds could be brought to the starting line of a race many were unaware was even being run. Yeah. That's exactly correct. That is exactly correct. No wonder correct. you're a Supreme Court justice. Um, okay. So now we're in Princeton. Okay. Her first time at Princeton is a life-changing experience. Initially, she says she felt like a visitor landing in an alien country. Remember, she's been in the Bronx and Puerto Rico <laughs> and, like, doesn't have a lot of outside experience. Not only that, but she's one of a few women and one of only 20 Latinx people at the college. Oh, my God. Um, So big culture shock, to say the least. These kids had been going to prep courses. And she was like, I felt behind before I even started. They had been taking all these college classes in high school. And also, English was not her first language. So she says, I felt that I lacked in the classics. I didn't know the the stories and the tales yeah. and the folklore that people told their white kids
1: yeah i just didn't know i've never thought about that as being like a disadvantage to some kids yeah. that like we take it for granted like da 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 like you know like the cinderella effect and they're like what the fuck what is that yeah like what <laughs> like and we're the, in like an internet age now so i guess they have more access more but like if you're just like a Kid growing up, like you may not have heard those stories if you're from a different country.
0: Well, it often shows up in standardized testing bias. So, like, (sighs) a lot of times they'll use common phrases in standardized tests, and kids of color or with immigrant parents um, or other minority groups often will get those questions wrong. (gasps) But it's not because they don't know the answer, they just have never heard that turn of phrase. I've never thought about turn
1: of phrase bias. Yeah. It's like that's really it's interesting. Considered
0: like in slang terms, people just call it racism and testing. Yeah. But it is like standardized testing is set up by people writing for the majority. And it's yeah. like shocking when you have to like cut out these questions that involve things like mythology that the kids may not have learned about. Right. Oh, that's crazy. fascinating. So sh- that was crazy for her. During her freshman year, she was too intimidated to, like, even ask questions. She put in long hours at the library, night after night. Um, She had been dating this boy, Kevin, since high school. So they're still dating, and he's going to a college nearby, and they, like, visited every weekend. He's Irish, though. And, like, his mom hated her. (laughs) He was like, no, this girl's Puerto Rican. You can't be dating her. So he would just come and hang out in the um, Bronx with her. But she did eventually gain her skills and her knowledge and her confidence. And she especially found a group where she felt like she really fit in the third world center on the campus. And she integrated herself into these clubs and organizations. So at Princeton, there was a group for the African-American students and then there was a group for other. So it was like Asian, Hispanic, native American (laughs) group because it was so new to have minority groups. It just grouped So she was in the other category (laughs) and in her second year, she became a moderate student activist and the co-chair of the organization and sought more opportunities for Puerto Rican students to attend. She worked in the admissions office. She traveled to high schools and lobbied on behalf of them to come to school at Ivy league schools. She also focused on faculty hiring and curriculum because Princeton did not have one single full-time Hispanic professor nor any Latin American history studies at all What? at Princeton at all.
1: Greatest college. My butt. Right. Ridiculous.
0: So a whole lot goes into this story. So I'm cutting it really short, but in short she and her club, strong arm the college into hiring latinx professors and into creating a history course of which she had to write the syllabus <laughs> a latin american history course um and she was like listen if you're gonna go out there and say you're committed to diversity then be committed to diversity yeah don't just say it back it up yeah she also saw the future she joined a group at the school this is in the 70s uh about the advancements of computers and she learned how to program and type but she kept it a big secret that she could type because she knew if groups knew that that she would end up the secretary in oh every meeting Oh my god! And she was like i can't let all the men know that i know how to
1: type very interesting i know <gasps>
0: So then she's in college and she read this story about a guy whose plane went down from Puerto Rico and he landed somewhere by accident and was put in a mental institution because he spoke Spanish and nobody could translate for him. So she goes to find this guy in this institution, translates for him, and gets him released because he's not insane. His plane just landed in the wrong place. Is it that hard to find people that speak Spanish? (laughs) This guy, he's from Puerto
1: Rico. He's from Puerto Rico. Okay. His plane lands
0: in the wrong place. Okay. He's kind of anxious about it. Nobody can translate the Spanish he's speaking. So they just put him in a mental institution. And she reads this in the newspaper. It's kind of close to her house. She goes to
1: find him. No one in all of (laughs) New Jersey, New York, there's no one closer. Like, no one in this mental institution thought, maybe he's not crazy. Maybe he just doesn't speak English. What the hell? Yeah. So she
0: goes and takes that onto her plate. And then when she's there, she looks around. And she's like, there's a large group of patients here that only speak Spanish. What? And you don't have any Spanish-speaking
1: employees. So, which also I can't even fathom a medical institution without anyone who speaks Spanish. In New York, no less. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's so many Spanish-speaking what? people in New York. So, she and the kids in her college club... Take human rights into their own hand and set up a rotation for each of them to sit at the hospital and translate for the Spanish speaking patients.
1: Why are children doing the work of adults? <laughs> I no their they're idea. children, they're in they college. Are, they're like but but like, this is not okay. This is t- <laughs> like, not okay. Why did they just think that it was fine to not even try to talk to these it's people? It's so
0: easy to d- hire somebody who speaks Spanish. So, so easy. easy unbelievable to me okay I mean, literally sonia's mother was a nurse and could have done that job <laughs> <laughs> like, and spoke spanish okay so she wrote her senior thesis on puerto rican history and she realizes that it would be a really good idea if she plugged it into the computer data Just, like, she was tired of, like, every time you write it and then you mess up. You kind of have to, like, rewrite all of it. Yeah. So she was like, I've been in this computer club, and I feel like it'd be really good at saving documents. So I'm just going to, like, plug mine in there. Is she
1: clippy? Did she, (laughs) like, invent Microsoft Word? I mean, maybe.
0: (laughs) Fuck Bill Gates. (laughs) But she becomes the first senior thesis at Princeton to ever be computerized. (laughs) What? Isn't that weird? What a weird credit to have on your, um, what's it called? Resume. What a time
1: to be alive. I know.
0: What? So she graduates summa cum laude with an AB in history and on August 14th, 1967, just after after graduating from Princeton, Sonia marries Kevin, who she'd been dating since high school. Mom finally came around. (laughs) She used the married name because his name was Kevin Edward Noonan. She used Sonia Sotomayor de Noonan, Mm. which is an interesting way to do it. Very good. Uh, He became a biologist and patent lawyer. Like I said, his mom came around, Um, (laughs) but her Puerto Rican family is like, what the hell are we gonna do with all these white people at a wedding?
1: Oh my gosh. And this I'm like, like, I don't know, the chicken dance? My big fat Puerto Rican wedding. Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like this is these are the kinds of hijinks that are going on. But
0: like also Irish people are wild too. That's true. <laughs> Such a wild situation to be a part of. Oh my gosh. I wanna be a fly on the wall of that wedding so badly.
1: I'm just picturing them trying to like feed each other like rum and Guinness. Like, <laughs> and, like,
0: and there's like a platter of corned beef and then jerk
1: chicken. <laughs> they're like, eat it.
0: <laughs> That's all I want from that wedding.
1: I don't want that fusion restaurant. I'm going to be honest.
0: <laughs> Me neither. That would be terrible. Okay.
1: Puerta Irish.
0: <laughs> oh my God. you just became millionaires with that idea. <laughs> so many people would come to that. Okay. So she
1: rum soaked haggas.
0: Stop. Oh my god. Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> I don't no want No,
1: thank you. I
0: don't want like any gumbo with a Guinness. I don't How want disgusting. coconut corn beef. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Heart
1: hurts. Ew. Ooh, okay.
0: So, Sonia enters <laughs> Yale Law School in the fall of 76, once more on a scholarship. Many again believe that she benefited from affirmative action, but a former dean of the admissions at Yale was like, given her record at Princeton, it probably had little effect of her yeah. getting into Yale. Yale's a great fit for her. Again, she was one of the very few Hispanic students. The Yale counselor acts as, like, an early mentor for her and helps her transform from, like, being a school person to being a lawyer. So, she becomes the editor of Yale Laws Journal, which is, like, what um, Obama did, but at Harvard. Like, being the editor of the Law Journal is, like, a big deal. Okay. Okay. Um, And she was also managing Yale publications on international law, and not many women or minorities ever got these positions. She was a finalist in the Barrister Union mock trial competition. She was the co-chair of a group for Latin, Asian, and Native American students, and again, was advocating for more Hispanic faculty. She wrote an amazing piece for a law journal, which every student does, but they rarely got put in. And hers ended up getting put in. It was a groundbreaking law paper on the self-determination of Puerto Rico, statehood, and their natural resources. And from writing this, she got in the press, like the actual news, not just like the Yale paper. In her second year, she got a job as a summer associate with um, a prominent New York law firm, and she marks this as her first fail and has never really gotten over this. She says her performance was terrible. She was not good at putting law knowledge onto paper yet. And at the end of the internship, she didn't get offered a full-time job, Ooh. and most people did. So this was, like, really crushing to her. Again, in her third year, year she had to file a former Formal complaint against Washington, D.C.'s law firm for suggesting during a recruiting dinner that she was only at Yale because of affirmative action. Sonia refused to be interviewed by that firm and filed a complaint with the Faculty Student Tribunal, and her actions triggered not only a campus-wide debate and the news, uh, but also a subsequent apology that was made in (gasps) the Washington Post. Oh, my God. She's like, do not fuck with me, please. So in 79, Sonia was awarded a Juris Doctor from Yale and was admitted to the New York Bar the following year. Kevin then starts applying to grad schools. So that was their plan. I'll go to school. Then you, you'll go to school. I'll go to Princeton. Or he goes into Princeton for grad school. She, he was living at Yale with her. Then they both moved to Princeton. But now she's got a two-hour commute to New York every day, twice oh, a day. No. So she's hired as an assistant in this district attorney under the New York County district office. And there are a lot of people from her home community that were like, why would you do this? We are at like, crisis level crimes in new york in the 70s 80s and 90s Like, yeah this is a terrible time to be a lawyer the staff is overburdened you're a rookie lawyer she's nervous about going in front of a judge as everybody is their first time and yet still they're handing her case after case after case she's doing shoplifting robberies assaults prostitution murder police brutality and all of it she though unlike many people who were lawyers was not afraid to travel into tough neighborhoods to interview eyewitnesses because she grew up in a tough neighborhood and she became effective at cross-examination and getting a jury to relate to a case, but only after her first case, she went into her first case and was like, logic, 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 facts, facts, facts. And she lost what she was trained to do. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give you all the facts. Yeah. Um, but she lost the case. And she goes back to her supervisor and is like, I don't get it. I had everything to prove yeah. that I was correct. And he was like, Okay, tell me what you did. And she was like, Well, I did logic, logic, logic. Fact, fact, fact. And he was like, No, no. That's not what you do. You do passion, passion, passion. Yeah.
1: Interesting, interesting, interesting. It's that's like, how you get a jury. Have you ever seen my cousin Vinny? Like you can't just present the facts. Like right. you have to put a little extra on
0: Right. It. And she was like Oh, I need to Kitty Genovese it. Yeah. That's what she goes back to in her head, mm. the forensics team. And after that, she never lost a case again. <gasps> Very nice. So <'Cause> she's crazy. <laughs> she said it was definitely a boys club in the 80s. It was definitely a locker room atmosphere. Her supervisor, though, was not misogynistic and valued women's word and their opinions and their work. Because she saw other female counterparts that that did not happen to. And she was getting promoted twice as fast as them. Yeah. And she doesn't credit that to her being better. It was just the support system around her. Yeah. Um, Commuting was really hard. Working was super hard. And her and her hubby are really having problems with Ooh. putting all this in. And as high school sweethearts, they split up. And she moved in with her mom. Mm-hmm. They tried to date for about a year. But... Then she, he had to move away because he like, um, his supervisor got a job in another place and he had to go with them. So after a year of like trying to date, it was officially over and they divorced. Aww. But then she was like, I can't live with my mom anymore. This is crazy. So I'm going to get a little <laughs> spot in Brooklyn. So she got her own place and lived in Brooklyn by herself. But the cases were really getting to her. They were hard. And it was changing her positive outlook on the world. In 83, she had to convict um, Richard Maddox, which I've never heard of this guy. You may have. He's known as the Tarzan murderer. And he would, like, acrobatically enter apartments, rob them, and then shoot the residents for no reason. So she convicts this guy. Um, And Sonia believed that lower-level crimes were largely a result of socioeconomic status. So it was hard for her to be a lawyer for those because those are the people she grew up with. Yeah, It's like the that person grew up like me and I'm a lawyer and they're going to jail. Yeah. So that was painful. And then she also put a lot of extra energy into pursue, pursuing child pornography cases. She was like, this is terrible. I don't want to deal with this um, in my city. But she had to continually do it and show... Like, evidence and, like, go through the pictures of how these kids were treated. And it was just so painful for her. She was working 15-hour days and got a reputation for being driven, extra prepared, and super fair. One job review labeled her as a potential superstar. But she said, after a while, you forget that there are decent, law-abiding people in the Ugh. world.
1: Well, I'm sure because that's all you're seeing. Yeah. And, like, it must, it, it must be taxing. It I, I can't even imagine.
0: So, at first, she's like, okay, what I'll do on the side is I'll start this, like, solo private practice for myself called Sotomayor and Associates. And I will, like, give legal consulting to people in the Bronx. She does that for three years. And then she's like, you know what? No. If I want to be a judge... In the future, I have to do more than criminal law. I have to move into civil law so that they can see diversity in my resume. So in 84, oh, and also the criminal law people were like, don't leave. Mm. We need you to stay. (laughs) Um, But in 1984, she enters a private practice, but not just any private practice. This is a private practice in New York. Some of the clients of this practice are the owners of Ferrari. (laughs) The owners of Bulgari and of Fendi. (sighs) Among other famous companies. a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) So she gets a female mentor there that teaches her how to go after trademark infringement early. Because if you don't, then you can't go against it. Like black market stuff. Okay. And she is Nancy Drewing it. (gasps) She's going out with detectives, tracking down counterfeit pieces. Um, her life is getting threatened by gangs running in the black market. And like, she has to have a police officer assigned to her to go in and out of court because that wasn't happening in the criminal cases. Yeah. in in the like black market cases. Um, and it's really funny because Sonia was traditionally a sloppy person. So her firm is like, listen, <laughs> if you're going to be a representative for like designer companies, you really need some clothes. Oh no. <laughs> like Anne Hathaway and Devil Wears yeah. Prada. They're like, what year is that color
2: from? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God.
0: So um, like I said earlier, her brother's going to med school at this time, but also her cousin who lived in her home a lot of her life Fell victim to heroin addiction, Ugh. so it's just how like closely the balance of the Bronx is it's like not one family versus another family or a rich yeah. family versus a poor family. like they grew up in the same home and or next door to each other and ended up in totally different situations, yeah,
1: I mean we talk about that all the time with like I mean, you look at fiance mm-hmm. who like literally no one else in his family had his struggles with addiction. And then he... Like, you know, there's... He was, like, the textbook, like, not supposed to have that happen to him. Right. Like, and it did. Like, and it's just really interesting how... Yeah, you can feel like you're doing everything right or wrong. It doesn't... Like, people... It just happens.
0: Right. And it's just, it's scary when it does happen because you start thinking like, how was their situation different from anybody else's situation? But the answer is it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. Right. It's nobody's fault. It just happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's dealing with that. Uh, She then becomes partner in this law firm, which being a partner means you're part owner. That's a big deal. So... When that happens, you present yourself to the board and everybody on the board has to vote whether or not... Because they're sharing the company with you. Yeah. So everybody's voting. She comes in and they're like, listen, we'll make you a part owner, but you have to promise one thing, that the entire time you are practicing civil law, you'll never practice anywhere else. Because we know you're going to go on to be a judge and we're going to allow you to do that. But... You're going to stay here until then. And she's like, I've never even told anyone I wanted to be a judge.
1: They just saw it. They just
0: saw it. Wow. So she becomes partner. Also, during this time, a couple of things. She shows up on Good Morning America for some, like, women 10 years out of college <laughs> thing. She oh is... My God. I know.
1: I wish I was doing much better. my God. <laughs> honestly.
0: Honestly. Here I am with this fucking podcast. <laughs> she, like, the governor of New York, appoints her to some state agency to help low-income people. She's on the New York City Campaign Finance Board, where she, like, makes for sure the politicians aren't abusing their campaign money which Mm -hmm. they always are Um, she's also on the board of Puerto Rican legal defense and education fund and on the maternity center association (sighs) yeah another important thing about Sonia is that she's really into lifelong friends she always thinks about a friend what can I learn from you So she has friends from high school, college, and law firms that she's kept all these years and they visit all the time. And she's actually super close with the Fendi family and travels to Europe with them on a regular basis. (laughs) Excuse me. All right, Sonia. I just weekend in Italy in between hanging out with RBG. Sorry. (laughs) Calm down. Calm down. Okay. Okay. One day she gets back from Italy with the (laughs) Fendis, and her office is entirely cleaned out. Like she had been fired. (gasps) What? She walks in and there's one thing on her desk and it's an application for the open seat (gasps) in the, um, Judy, Judyocracy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Judiciary. (laughs) I couldn't get there. My head. It's written. (laughs) The Judyocracy is how judge Judy runs her court. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: there's this application on her desk. So, the two senators in New York actually had this really cool bipartisan agreement going where whatever president was in office, whatever party, at this time George W. Bush, the um, Republican senator would get three nominations and the Democrat would get one. And then if it was a Democratic president, they would switch. Okay. Very cool. Um, So, she becomes the one Democratic nominee for judgehood. And she's like
1: not looking good for me (laughs) this
0: looks crazy but the senator is like have i got a judge for you like really really pulling it in so like i said the president george bush to get nominated she's got to fill out all this paperwork and have her whole life like back checked and this is just like federal judge this isn't even like appeals court or supreme court so She's only 36 years old when this is happening. um, She would end up being the youngest judge of that district and the only Hispanic judge of New York if she gets through. Um, She gets assigned two paralegals to help her fill out all the paperwork and background check her. Um, She had a reputation for being a tough bitch, but it's also super soft and lovable. (laughs) She had to go to panel interviews and meet with the senator. And she's with the senator and has this one-and-a-half-hour conversation. She's getting ready to leave. She's like, okay, it's nice to meet you. I'm going to leave. I'll I'll await your response. Like, let me know what you decide. Because she's like, he's meeting with tons of people. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm nominating you for this. You just, like, hang with me. It's going to take a while. It might take, like, two years to get you through. So she leaves, like, in all. She's expecting, like... He'll tell me in three weeks whether or not I get the nomination. She just, like, wanders around New York and, like, ends up in front of the, like, Supreme Court building just, like, looking up at it in awe. But in 1991, George Bush nominates her to the U.S. District Court in the Southern District of New York. It took 18 months of hearings and blocking to get her through. She, like I said, became the youngest judge and the first Hispanic federal judge in New York State, which seems insane because there's a lot of Hispanic people in New York. Mm Mm-hmm. She also became the first Puerto Rican woman among the district's 58 judges. Her mom is like, so you're taking a page cut. You can't travel with Fendi anymore. You don't get to meet new people. When you're a judge, you can't like hang out with the lawyers after work. Yeah. You're just like alone. She's like, why on earth are you doing this? And she's like, I want to make a difference. So she moved from Brooklyn back to the Bronx to live in her district. And She keeps a low public profile. She's willing to make anti-government stances in her first year. She gets a super high public rating from the people. She got a reputation with tough sentencing in criminal cases and being pro-defense. She generally handed out longer sentences than her colleagues, especially for white-collar crimes. In 1997, Sonia was nominated by Bill Clinton to a seat on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the second court and the republican majority tried to slow her nomination because they thought what clinton was doing was like let me get a shoe in for the first hispanic supreme court justice so if I can Mm -hmm. get her in the court of appeals then it'll be really easy because everybody's going to be like oh we haven't had a hispanic person on the supreme court but she was really central all of her views were moderate. Like, yep. she was raised Roman Catholic. She doesn't even align with most liberal people in terms yeah. of, like, abortion. And, like, there's a lot of things. that like, I didn't look too much into all her politics, but everybody kept saying she's unpredictable how she's going to vote. Like, yeah. sometimes she goes left and sometimes she goes right. But Rush Limbaugh weighed in that Sonia was an ultra-liberal ultra who was on a rocket ship to the highest court. What? An ultra liberal, ultra liberal, like somebody that everybody else calls in the middle. I not to speak ill of the dead, but fuck you. Uh, no, we can
1: always speak ill of him. It's, I hate him. It's just because she's not white. That's literally, literally my it. next line.
0: I, <laughs> I said. Meanwhile, she's not liberal. She's just Hispanic woman without children. Yeah,
1: that's exactly <laughs> it. It's uh, if you're not Beverly Betty whatever Betty Grable Yeah, I don't know who that is. Like then it's like. Wow. You so are liberal. a liberal nut job! Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, so she
0: got hardcore questioned from the Republican board about gay rights and about mandatory sentencing and whether or not she respected Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. What a dumb question. But she was approved um, in a vote that was 67 to 29. And this part of her story I'm going to fly through, not only because it's not in her autobiography, but legal jargon is boring as fuck. Yeah. So... She spends 10 years on the Second Circuit Court. She heard 3,000 appeals cases, wrote 380 opinions in the majority, um, had five of her cases go to the Supreme Court, three were reversed, two were affirmed. Again, she's listed as a centralist this whole time, and they said her rules for ideological categorization defy easy description. (laughs) We have no idea how she's going to vote. She is unpredictable. She did give a speech at Berkeley called A Latina's Judge's Voice, where she talked about her upbringing and culture, which was really weird at the time to talk about womanhood in, like, the 90s and, like, how it's oppressing on you. She is said to have run a hot bench where the judge—she asked the lawyers plenty of questions. And one man said— She's brilliant and qualified, but I just feel that she can be very—how do you say—temperamental. Ew. Why and don't then, you just say
1: hysterical?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Why don't you just say she's sassy?
1: She's a a spicy mama. It's like, okay, <laughs> are
0: you what? What is going on
1: here? Calm like, calm
0: down. <laughs> and uh, somebody shot back about that statement and said. Sotomayor's questioning patterns are no different from those of other members of the court and added, some lawyers just don't like to be questioned by a woman. True. True. In 2002, the Democrats suggest Sonia to replace Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court um, when she's retiring. This did not happen. Again, there's years and years of her on the appeals court. In 2008, Obama wins the presidency, whoop, whoop, and two of her colleagues wrote letters to Obama, her coworkers wow. write him letters, and they're like, you need to nominate this woman for the Supreme Court. The White House contacts her April 27th, 2009, and by May 25th, Obama had nominate her, nominated her. She became the only second jurist to be nominated by three different presidents. Wow the Democrats are all in some conservatives and Republicans kept pointing out that she said in a speech I she's this was at the speech at Berkeley she said I would hope that a wise Latina woman with the richness of her experience would more often than not reach a better conclusion than a white male who hasn't lived that life yeah and people are real upset about that (laughs) limbaugh and gingrich call her a racist that needs oh to be oh my from
1: the
2: god
0: <laughs> i know i know it's it's worse than it's people we know you know what i mean like they're still like lots of the people we're talking about are still like senators and shit obviously racist. not limbaugh um but in 2009 there's an early vote and every democrat votes for her and one republican lindsey graham surprisingly okay. all right
1: all right i'll take that Throw him a bone
0: um, on August 9th, she was confirmed when there was a full Senate vote. It was 68 to 31, all the Democrats, two independents, and nine Republicans. Of the um, Of the 160-some-odd Supreme Court justices in the history of the United States, she becomes the first Hispanic person ever on the Supreme Court. Uh, and the fifth women, along with Sandra Day O'Connor, RBG, Elena Keegan, and Amy Coney Barrett. Her appointment gave the court its sixth Roman Catholic serving at one time, which doesn't look good for abortion. Um, other notable things, she swore in Joe Biden as vice president for his second term. And she was the first Hispanic person to do that and the fourth woman to swear in a vice president. In her five years, she has shown her individuality in court, sometimes siding with the left and people like RBG, but other times siding across the aisle. She's become one of the strongest voices for criminal justice reform and prison reform. She's been an adjunct professor. She's been on boards of trustees. She's been on Sesame Street. Um, She says it's really hard for her to have a relationship while she's working but does actually lack genuine happiness when she's living alone. And because of that, when she's working all, she makes sure that all the women that work in her office have the ability to get married and have a family Mm. because she does. She is sad about the fact that she chose work over family because she did want kids and just says it didn't work out for me. She's very religious, but does not attend mass. Uh, in like 2013, she signed a $1.2 million deal for her autobiography, which I've referenced a lot tonight. <laughs> she's written two books, whole bunches of articles, forwards, speeches. She has pressed the button to drop the ball on the Times Square on oh, New that's Year's fun. Eve. Oh, um, fun. She's gotten a millions of awards, including 75 Most Influential People in the 21st Century and the National Women's Hall of Fame. But most recently... She was given the honor of swearing in the first female vice president ever when she swore in Kamala Harris in 2021. Ugh, chills. And that's Sonia Sotomayor's story so So far. So interesting. Oh, my God. Can you believe all light. that happened?
1: <laughs> no. I know. I just
0: feel like I went I ran a marathon with that story.
1: <laughs> you really did. That was a very long story.
0: And I barely stopped talking. I think I did okay. You, you, you did really good. <laughs> that was
1: fantastic. Um I know I was like trying to like interject just so you could drink your drink. Um yeah. but yeah, that was fascinating. Isn't she incredible? She's really I great. I didn't know
0: any of that stuff.
1: No. I would never have known cuz she doesn't like Again, well, I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like her upbringing—like be tough, be private. Like mm-hmm. I feel like she's like, yeah, I wrote a book about, it, but I'm not gonna be like talking about it yeah, all the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, you can <laughs> read about it later. <sighs> okay, but I need another drink and to right. relax
1: my mouth muscles. Yes, <laughs> we'll be right back.
2: Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast, because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and raiding a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and, and corruption. corruption.
0: okay we are back we're back new drinks they look so cute
1: so foamy They're very cute i love a foamy drink. <laughs> me too so do you want to know what this bubbly concoction is i really do because i'm excited to take a sip okay so this is called smooth as because my name is silk <laughs> <laughs> it is an ounce and a half of vodka an ounce of pink limoncello a tablespoon of coconut cream and you top the whole thing off with champagne
2: Cheers. Cheers.
0: So good. Oh, my
1: gosh. That's really tasty.
0: I could drink that for a decade.
1: (laughs) Mm. It almost tastes like a creamsicle. Like, it tastes like there's orange in it, but there's not.
0: And it's so interesting to drink it right after a cocktail with pepper in it. Yeah. Because this is so smooth, like silk. Mm-hmm. And that one was so, like, it had, like, a harsh aftertaste.
1: Yeah, it did, but I loved it. Like, it was mm-hmm. that one was, like, so, like, smoky and mm-hmm. spicy. And this one is, like, just, yeah, soft and sweet.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it, love it.
1: So, what do you know about Silk Smitha? Um, I
0: know she's from India. I know she was a movie star and... Only because you told me earlier this week, I think she's considered kind of the Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. of India, which means I probably think things are not going to end happy. They don't. <laughs> what a bummer. We I should know. have switched
1: the order of our story. I know. Probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so tell me all about this lovely lady. Okay. So I got most of this from Wikipedia and then some other like Indian blog websites because there's not a lot. On her personal life, and then I talk a lot about Bollywood. Um, so, again, I got a lot of that from Wikipedia. Uh, but one of the I, I did read an article called The Dirt and the Dirty Picture hmm. Cast, Gender, and Silk Smitha by Jenny Rowena, and it was a really great article. Ooh, and I use smitha. that a lot. How do you spell her last name? S M I T H A. Okay, are you pulling up pictures of her? Yeah, Isn't I just need to see her. Gorgeous? She's stunning. Yeah, I know, she's so lovely. Uh, okay, so. Vijaya Lakshmi Vadlapatia was, sorry, Vadlapatla was born on, that's an L, not an I, uh, was born on December 2nd, 1960 in Kavali, Andhra Pradesh, India, to Telugu parents Ramalu and Sarasama. So due to financial constraints, because her family was not very wealthy, um, she was only able to go to school for a few years and Mm. she had to leave when she was about 10 years old. She was unsure of her future, but she did know two things. (laughs) Number one, her family did not have any money. And number two, men seemed to pay a lot of attention to her. And unfortunately, her parents also noticed that she was getting a lot of male attention from a very young age. So uh, to protect her, they married her off to a much older man when she was 14. (sighs) Which is like, in your gut, you're like, no! (laughs) Cool. I mean,
0: I I can see where the parents I can see are where they're like this from. is the better
1: choice, like right. trying to make the what seems to them like the safer choice for their daughter because they're like, what else could we offer her? Right. You I know? mean, that's exactly.
0: I mean, Marilyn Monroe was married at like sixteen yeah. because her foster parents were like, we don't want to deal with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. But. This man and his family um turned out to be extremely abusive <gasps> mentally and physically. So Silk ran away from that situation. I don't know at what age. Um, I just we don't know hardly anything about this.
2: I'm holding um, my breath. So
1: she leaves and she's like, What am I going to do? I have a fourth grade education and no family. So she's like, Well, I'm pretty good at makeup. <laughs> so she goes to like the bollywood district and she's like i can do makeup for films and she gets a job as just like a makeup touch up girl like not even doing full makeup just like running on and doing touch ups let
0: me get that gloss off mm-hmm. you
1: So since she was around, she got a few small roles as an extra because if there's one thing we know about Bollywood movies, there are a lot of extras. So many
0: people are in them. They're
1: so crazy. Um, (laughs) But when famous Bollywood director Vinu Chakravarti saw her, some say in a flour mill, some say she was just like, you know, off to the side. I don't really know, like on set. Who knows? But he thought that she was absolutely gorgeous and he decides to take her under his wing and make her a star. But again, she's this poor girl with a fourth grade education. So Venu's wife, Karna, stepped in and she was like, I'm going to teach you English and then I'm going to arrange for you to have the best dancing, acting and etiquette lessons. Like, I really think you're talented. So when he thought she was ready, uh, Vinu decided to debut her in a 1980 movie he had written called Vandy Chakaram. It revolves around a ruffian who, after falling in love, resolves to mend his ways. (laughs) And so she's not the main character of this movie. Uh, Vino has specifically written her as kind of a sexy vamp character named Silk. Mm. So the movie comes out and it's a huge hit because people cannot stop talking about the character of Silk. She is so sexy and Provocative, just so different than the typical chaste Indian woman seen in one of these movies. People are fascinated by her. And then her name, of course, becomes synonymous with the character, and she is forever known as Silk. That's how she got her name just because it's so tied to this character. That is crazy. I know. <laughs> that,
0: wow, I can is there even a um is there even a character that we could equate that to
1: in like American movies? I don't think so because I feel like everyone else like it like changed their name like you know like Cher wasn't share in a thing. She was just like, right. I am share. Like I,
0: mean, <laughs> I will forever call Matthew Broderick Ferris Bueller. Oh,
1: that's true. That's um, true.
0: But I know his actual name, right? You know what I yeah, mean? this like, is
1: someone who like no one ever says her real name.
0: Yeah, she's like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's silk. That's yeah. silk. Mm.
1: So this was obviously great for her career. She started getting a lot more roles in movies, but unfortunately, they were all the same role. And no one wanted to hire her to play a serious role or the main love interest. She was always the temptress, the one who, you know, made the hero run back to his, you know, chaste, like simple girlfriend, you know, or like, or she was just like the pretty girl in the item number. So because I just mentioned item number... Before we go on with the story, I'm going to take a second to talk about the Indian film industry, more commonly known as Bollywood. Do it. Now, if we want to get technical, she's technically a Tollywood star. So these are movies made in the areas of India that speak Telugu. So mainly Andhra Pradesh, which is where Hyderabad is, which is where I studied abroad. So this is like really where I was. And this is just something I want to talk about because it was something that surprised me a lot when I was living there was that. It wasn't just Hindi that people were speaking. Most people most people spoke Hindi and English, and then a type of like a type of regional language like Telugu, or a religious language language like Urdu, which is spoken by the Muslim population. And this is important to know because number one, it's an important cultural thing. Like right. <laughs> like sometimes this area is referred to as Telangana because they're like we don't speak Hindi, we speak Telugu, uh-huh. <laughs> and. It's also important to know because the languages have their own smaller Bollywood. So, Bollywood really refers to Hindi speaking movies produced in Mumbai. And that represents 43% of Indian net box office revenue, much smaller than I thought. I mean, it's half. But only forty-three percent. Yeah, because
0: I thought like India is like the number one producer of films in the world. Oh, they are correct. Yeah, like by far. Yeah.
1: So, but we all lump it into one. So, all of these are under Bollywood movies. But if we're really getting technical, Bollywood is a Hindi-speaking movie produced in Mumbai, and then you have Tamil and Telugu cinema. So, Tollywood, and that represents thirty-six percent. So, that's a huge chunk of the movies that she's in. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like the remaining regional cinema constituting twenty-one. So those numbers came from like 2014, Um, but again, even though like we lump it all together, I wanted to talk about it because it represents different regions and styles and tastes, you know, and. I also thought this was fascinating. There are also different like genres of Bollywood film. Again, I think we always just think of them as one. But the most popular one and the one we associate most with Bollywood is the Masala film. Hmm. So it's not surprising that this is the most successful genre because it, it is all the genres. <laughs> masala films freely mix action, comedy, romance, drama, and melodrama along with musical numbers.
0: Oh, perfect.
1: <laughs> so most films have a couple different musical numbers in them, but there's always one that stands out and this is called the item number. So the item number is typically put in the movie simply to entertain the audience. (laughs) And they also use it to put in the trailer to make it seem like a super fun movie you can't miss. (laughs) (laughs) And it usually has nothing to do with the plot. And it's just there to attract people like sugar and hummingbirds. Like, it's there to keep their attention and make them leave the theater humming a catchy tune.
0: What is the movie?
1: That's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog
0: Millionaire. So you know how the end, you're going to talk- I'm talking about Is it. Is that the <laughs>
1: item
2: number? Yes!
0: Okay. Because I'm watching this movie, and then that pops up, and I'm like, What is happening?
1: My next sentence. A good example of this is the giant dance sequence at the end of *Slumdog Millionaire*.
0: Listen, we could not have planned that. We couldn't have planned it
1: because it's true. Because for like a white Western audience, like because that movie was huge and so dark and and so dark and and so good and dreary and depressing. And then you're like, "Jai Ho!" You're like, "What the hell is happening?" Like, what is... I
0: mean, I enjoyed it. It was great. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. But also, why? Yeah.
1: Well, and it's because, like... So, this movie was a... That was a British production. So, it's not technically a Bollywood movie. But I think it was, like, you know, a nod to Bollywood. Because, like, that's where, like, a lot of the stars of the movie were from. And... uh, I just, I think it was a really nice nod to be like, this is something that we love in Indian movies, that there is just this random dance sequence that has nothing to do with the plot, but it's fun and people love it. And you know what? I did love it. I loved it too. It's like a
0: (laughs) cast, it's like a cast, like after party where you're like, oh my gosh, all these people like actually enjoy one another and like are working together as colleagues. That's super fun. Um, so I really, really enjoyed it. I can still picture some of the dance moves.
1: Yeah. That's an item number.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I understand what it's called.
1: Um, and I also, I just want to give some credit to Bollywood movies because I feel like they're kind of seen as like silly, fun things, but they've influenced like a lot of our favorite movies. Like the director of Moulin Rouge was like, I absolutely took everything from my movie from Bollywood, like the costumes <laughs> and the colors and the dances and like the sequences. He's like, I was super influenced by them. So just want to give them some credit. So... Her films are all in Telugu, but they have the same elements as a normal Bollywood movie, which means that there are these big musical numbers. And again, Silk is typically the star of the item number. So, but what this means is she doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. And, you know, she's just kind of there to be like the sexy dancer in the middle Mm -hmm. of everything. And she starts Mm -hmm. to feel frustrated. She's like, you know, you could take me out of the movie And it wouldn't change anything. I don't have anything to do with what's actually happening. And then she's like getting other roles that aren't item number girls that are just like you know, again, like sexy scenes. And she's like, I just kind of feel like I'm doing softcore pornography. And that's what people were saying about it. Like, oh, that's the porn actress, you know? Like, she'll just be in like a skimpy bikini beating up thugs or like just seducing someone. She's so, like this sexy girl in every James Bond flick. Exactly. Like, she is pussy there. galore. Right, exactly.
0: Um,
1: and she cares. Yeah, exactly. And she's just feeling like she's not being taken seriously. And she just wants people to think of her as like more than a porn star. But the thing is, she was actually the cornerstone of so many productions. So directors would use her as leverage, saying like, well, Silk Smith has already signed on, so you should too. Or, well, we want to start the movie production in two months, but Silk isn't available until June, so we'll just wait for her. She literally has movie productions just like hanging on, waiting for her. But like, they still won't give her good roles. But... One thing that I thought was really interesting, there's a film historian, Randor Guy, and he mentioned that one of the things that was actually happening behind the scenes is like there were a lot of films that she was in that had been like not finished and not released. Like they had, had everything to it, but they just like there was something missing. So they would literally just take these films that had already been done, add an item number with silk, release it, and it would be a smash hit.
0: Just because she would be in the item number. Yeah.
1: So she's feeling like I could just be lifted out and no one would care. But what's actually happening is, like, no, you're the only thing people are coming to see. So, like, the movie doesn't exist if we don't put you in it. But
0: she's not feeling that at she's all. She's not feeling
1: that at all. Oh,
0: poor thing. I know.
1: She did get a few, like, small, serious roles in her time, and she was praised for them. Like, some critics wrote about her saying, like, wow, I didn't know that Silk could actually act. Like, this is a shock to us. <laughs> But she could still just never get over this sexy image and just enough to be taken seriously. And I think a large part of this is that she is a lower class woman who found herself in a very upper class, wealthy situation, making a lot of money. And I think some people didn't want her to actually think that she was better than she was because we know that like there is a very distinct class like caste system in india Mm. that some people want to deny exists but it it does and the people who feel it the most are the people in the lower castes and along with this and this pairs in with being of a lower caste she had much darker skin than most of the bollywood stars at this time Mm. and uh, one of the other things that's still really prominent besides the caste system is colorism It was one of the things that shocked me the most while I was there was the amount of skin bleaching cream that was advertised and like job postings for stewardesses that would plainly say like, we are looking for light skinned women. Like nobody is trying to hide this. And like, if you're a darker skinned woman, even if you are of an upper class, like you're seen as so ugly, which is really upsetting.
0: It is really upsetting. And it's, I mean, with the caste system, like I completely understand like, it was made, you know, illegal to treat people that way, but there's still underlying, like, notions of it yeah. everywhere. Like, I get that because I feel like that's a lot. Like, yes, slavery is illegal, but that doesn't mean racism isn't underlying. Yeah. Um, but colorism is something for that's always been hard for me to grasp mm-hmm. just as a white person mm-hmm. because I not existing in a minority community um, – In a um, minority community that is full of people of color, I don't see the day-to-day distinctions that occur between people. Yeah,
1: and it is so so common. Oh yeah, and again, especially there, like it and it. They're again, they're not trying to hide it. It is like, like skin lightening is everywhere over there, and it's just it. That was something that nobody prepared me for and i was really Mm. shocked by it that's
0: interesting because our joint sister-in-law as well said like when she was in japan Mm -hmm. women would walk around with like full gloves on yeah like with a sun umbrella in like 98 degree temperature like sweating to death because yeah they needed to keep their skin looking porcelain yeah
1: it's a real pressure that like like, super super white and and it's also interesting because it's not just to one culture it is all over the world that women are experiencing this and so yeah so she's feeling it i mean like really hard and i think it's really important to talk about these two things when talking about silk because she's not allowed to take on lead roles Because she was the subversive other, the dark-skinned, lower-caste woman, and they are making a public statement, a purposeful public statement, that Mm. she is only fit for sex work. A woman who looks like her is only fit Mm. for sex work and to be just, like, used and then disregarded. Right. Like, you can't tell me that that was not the full meaning behind this because people everywhere said that she was so talented and you could see it, you know?
0: This reminds and me she a was lot a of a hard it. worker. It reminds
1: me of the anime Wong story yes. in such a different way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately yeah. we're kinda like hopefully moving past some of that stuff like yeah. with people like Lapita, who oh like my God. she's yeah. a dark skinned woman and is just such a talented no, actress. Absolutely. And has gotten a lot of
1: critical acclaim. Yeah. So um, yeah I just I feel so bad for <laughs> <laughs> Poor so, baby. So in her personal life, she was fairly closed off. She was always described as an introvert with a relatively childlike sense about her. And this meant that she maintained a very close group of friends and would sometimes seem kind of arrogant to new people because she was very straightforward and just not interested in making new friends. So maybe some people said she was a bitch, but you couldn't say that she wasn't a hard worker because she was extremely professional. She was always at set early with her lines memorized. So like, again, it's a thing of like, it's not that she's like being like a lazy starlet. Like she is working so hard and still not getting respected. Um, But unfortunately, because of her sexual image, she also had bad rumors following her, you know, that just pretty much every prominent man who she was just even relatively associated with, she was rumored to be sleeping with and having an affair. Mm. Uh, One was a co-star in many of her movies who denied it. It was like, no, we did not have an affair. And the other was a director who, the director who found her, Vido, who I mean, that doesn't even make any sense because his wife was helping him get her to fame the whole time. Like they were working as a pair to help this girl. And if I were looking at like Silk's very close-knit circle of friends, it seemed like she didn't let people in lightly. So I feel like she was probably like a heavily monogamistic woman who just people assumed was a slut because of her movies and the way that she looked. In her 17 years in the business, Silk made 450 movies holy
0: hell that's like um, Ginger Rogers style <laughs> movie
1: and to put this in Nicolas Cage terms he has only been in about 116 movies and that's like on the high end for people and he's been working for 40 years <laughs> she's made so many
0: movies who made that comparison to Nicolas Cage you or an article
1: I did <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is the one actor to really grab Allie's attention? I, I um, want a
0: Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I want a Kevin Bacon stat.
1: I feel like Kevin Bacon has probably been in a shocking few amount of movies. Really? Let's Google it. We're going to take a live moment sidebar. Okay.
0: Because this is very important because the Kevin Bacon thing, like seven
1: degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Like every actor can be connected to him. Right? Isn't that the thing? I think so. How many movies has Kevin Bacon been in? This is shocking. How many? At least 65. No. Stop. 65 versus Nicolas Cage's 116 and Silk's 450. Well, he doesn't work
0: because what's her name? What's her name is his wife.
1: Um, I do know who you're talking about. Kira, said, Kira Sedgwick. Se- yeah. Kira Sedgwick. She. going <laughs> <laughs> to blame the woman, awesome. Allie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, no, he doesn't have to work because she's so effing awesome. <laughs> she's got all the jobs lined up. Also,
1: he's got that footloose money. He doesn't need to work a day in his life. <laughs> Ever. Ever.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Later, can we <laughs> talk about Dirty Dancing? Yes. I'm going to write it down. Forever.
1: um. But this is, like, not super surprising that she's in 450 movies because the Bollywood industry produces about a thousand films per year, which is, like, double what Hollywood produces. Yeah. I mean, they're the biggest film industry <laughs> in the, the world. They're the biggest film industry in the world. <laughs> so Sil- Silk Star rose quickly but seemed to be constantly thwarted by the social confines that were designed to keep women like her down. And eventually this led to depression and isolation. And on the morning of September 23rd, 1996, she she called her close friend, a dancer named Honorata, and she said something was bothering her. I need to talk to you. So she was like, yeah, I'm going to drop my kid off at school and then I will come right afterwards. And even just later that morning, it was too late. And she... Found silk dead in her Chennai apartment by suicide oh she was thirty six years old, and this sent shockwaves through the industry. I mean, even today, the people of India who still love her just feel shocked and devastated, and there's, it's always touted as like the mystery of silk's death, and it 's like, I don't know. I feel like you guys weren't listening to her. Yeah. And like, it de- like when you really look at her story, it's like, it doesn't seem like a huge mystery to me. Like she said what she needed and nobody she, listened. Exactly. You were using her like a chess piece instead of like actually for seventeen years. Yeah. That's too much. You were using her and not appreciating her for her talents. And like, it's just like, it's still bananas to me that it's still just seen as like, what a mystery. We never saw this coming. And it's like, Well, I love that you mentioned
0: in in that sense the introvert, that she was like generally an introvert because I think sometimes somebody like a movie in a a movie industry might be like, hey, this big party we have after the film, that's to like honor you for what you did. But an introvert, that's an insult. Yeah. It's like, that's not what I need to honor me. And what you're doing is literally in opposition to what I need.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just, it was just horrible. But, I mean, she's remembered as an icon of specifically the Tollywood screen. And in 2011, a movie came out that was inspired by her life called The Dirty Picture. <laughs> um, This is a movie I saw when I was there. I took a movie. I took, like, a Bollywood film class, which was so much fun (laughs) and i would definitely recommend the item number for this song it's super catchy and just really a lot of fun uh the film stars vidya balan as silk and it shows her early life through her career and her suicide detailing the struggles that she was facing obviously they changed some of the story and added more detail that probably wasn't true um and when i saw it like i was like i love this movie and i was just became like kind of obsessed with her even there's and I was shocked that there wasn't much information. Um, but apparently, this movie got into some hot water with Silk's family because they said that they never gave permission for them to make this movie. That's not okay. And the director was like, what?
2: The,
1: no, this no. that's not about Silk Smitha. I, I mean, I know the main character's name is Silk, and we did release it on her birthday. But, like, no, that's not about her. <laughs> We're I mean, just like, just fucking just eat it, just yeah, and like admit it, <laughs> I
0: mean, we gave Selena's family a hard time for like getting on the movie train real early.
1: But like, they were able to control the story exactly, and that's and why people opposite, do that. Yeah, like
0: Selena Cantania's family was like, "We're gonna make sure this is said correctly." Yeah, and
1: that's what Silk is not getting that honor, unfortunately. Yeah, mm. um, but don't worry, there were two more movies <laughs> made about her. How could there not be? It's Bollywood. I know in Tali-wood, 2013. I mean. um, so one was called The Dirty Picture, Silk Sahath Hot. <laughs> uh, okay, and the other one was called Climax. Yeah. Wow. I mean, very just straight to the point. They're not,
0: they're, they are not <laughs> hiding a damn thing. I want to watch the item number and climax. That's oh what my I gosh.
1: Watch. So, even though her whole life was focused around sex and provocativeness, and even the movies about her have the words dirty and climax in them, Silk didn't actually care about what people thought about her expressing her sexuality and loving her body. And I want to make that clear. Because she knew that it was important and empowering to do so. Like when she was sad about the career, the track her career was going, she wasn't sad because she was like being forced to wear skimpy things. She's like, I like wearing bathing suits and I like doing this. I just wish I also got more cool roles. Like <laughs> it's not that I don't love my body and I don't like being sexy because I do.
0: She's like, I just want a monologue or two. Right.
1: And when Vijay Balan prepared for her role as Silk, she said she did so by constantly telling herself, I love my body, I love my body, I love my body. And if Silk has inspired just one woman to tell herself that, then she is a hero in my book. That's so I cute. know oh. And that's the story of Silk. <laughs> I'm
0: that's so beautiful. I also was she not called the Marilyn Monroe until like of India until after her death. You know, what's funny is
1: <laughs> my film teacher called her the Marilyn Monroe of India and like literally nothing online said that. That's
0: interesting because I mean, <laughs> because she, I is. Like she
1: is like only my film teacher said that. And I was oh, like, mi- I was picturing there to be all these articles that were like India's Marilyn Monroe and there just weren't. And oh I my god,
0: we should just write that we article. Sh- we have two episodes.
1: We should write the Hot article. Hot piece for Hot the piece. Washington Post if you want op-ed. Us, let op-ed. us know if you want us to write an op-ed for the Washington Post about this. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and I just, like, i never heard of her story. And, like, I just think she's a really important person in this giant industry that, like, really gets overlooked. Yeah, so. and it's
0: also, like, with Marilyn Monroe's death, a lot of times... You know, when you see an actress like that, you're like, how did you not see it coming? Mm-hmm. Like, help out. Help out. Yeah. Oh. Anyway.
1: So, anyways, so we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the two of us.
0: Well, they existed in exact uh,
1: conjunction with each other. I wrote that my first note. I was you like, too. I can't believe they're like the same age, same basically. Age. <laughs> same age. And
0: like in 1996, you know, when she... When silk takes her own life that's like when um at 36 years old that's like when Sonia is like becoming a judge at about 36 years
1: old well and it's exactly the point we were making earlier like there is no real true like definitive answer as to like you will grow up this way because this happened to you because they both grew up. Poor. they both grew up with parents who were just wanting like a better life for their kids but like unable to actually give it to them yeah so struggling because I just thought about like you know Sonia's parents I think were having their own immense struggles and like when you have a ton of kids and you're struggling yourself to like be in a foreign country and like your parents wanted you to come here to have a better life and you're like I feel like I'm failing them like like I just think a lot about her mom who was like I have an alcoholic husband I'm supposed to be being the betterment of my family and I feel like I'm fucking failing you know and And like you're doing the best you're doing the best you can like she was trying so hard and like I and I just think that that's probably what silk's parents were thinking too of like we can't picture any way out for you so we are going to marry you off so that you are like and I, I think their mindset was probably, like, we don't want you to be, like, sex trafficked or raped or, like, whatever. Like, something bad could happen to you because men are paying attention to you and it worries mm-hmm. us. Like, because, again, men res- – other men respect other men's property more than they respect just the woman herself. Right. If
0: she's wifed to, to someone
1: – Then that, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, bro. I that's can't. your wife? Okay, right. never mind. I'm I sorry, will not sell bad. her into sex slavery. It right. might be. Like – It's
0: wh- <laughs> weird, too, because it's, like – Both of their families were like proud of their like little segment of the world. Yeah. Like, and it's like Sonia was proud to be living in this apartment with her parents in New York with her grandmother and her cousins and all this stuff. And it's like some people like, yeah, but that's the projects where it's like the same is true of silk. She's like, I am proud to be getting out of here and being a makeup girl in Tollywood. Like I'm, making something of this small, small thing. And some people are like, oh, right, but you're like a lower caste. And yeah. you're from some you don't speak Hindi necessarily. Like so somebody's big success. You don't have to shit on somebody's big success.
1: Right. It kind of felt like they were both constantly being told like, but don't forget you don't belong here. Yeah. And they're like I know because it was really hard for me to get here. Like I look around and I'm the only one. I'm very aware of that situation. Like you don't have to remind me of it. Like actually I would love to go a day when I don't think about that fact. But like, you know, yeah, thanks for throwing it in my face. But the whole thing is too, like they were both taught to like be tough, be private. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're like a big known like household name actress like you are not supposed to let shit fall through the cracks like you are supposed to be like a beacon and like you're up on there on the hill and like if shit goes wrong you bury it and I feel like that's what Sonia was taught too like hey be chill just if you're having a hard time because I know you are because everyone's telling you you're supposed to be having a hard time just bury it hide it (laughs) hide it hide it
0: um, and I I love that that's why I think Sonia's autobiography, some people called it a memoir, but like it's so truthful. She was just like, no,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm writing exactly what happened to me. Yeah. These are the people in my life who died. The This is me not being able to speak English till I was nine. This is me lighting a literal gas stove with a match to sterilize a needle. I was giving to
1: myself. Yeah. That's absurd. She's a Supreme Court justice. Well, I think because they were both so self-sufficient. Like, I think about, you know, Sonia literally going out and being like, okay, like, I have no other option. I literally have to figure out how to give myself insulin shots. And, like, Silk being like, well, I can't stay in this abusive-ass marriage, so, like, I guess I have to go out and, like, learn how to actually do makeup just so I can make any money. Yeah. Like, I don't think she had any, any like, dreams of like, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be a movie star. I think she was like, I just need to do something. And this is the only, like, they're just so self-sufficient. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something because what's happening right now is not okay.
0: <laughs> I agree, and I also think I want to change my statement. I don't think it's absurd that somebody like Sonia is a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. I think it's absurd that there are so many people like that in America mm-hmm. and she's the only person who has that story. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I haven't spent a good bit of time researching like Thurgood Marshall. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what he went through um To be the first black, you know, Supreme Court justice. But I do know, like, that the majority of the United States is not made up of people that are from wealthy backgrounds. Yeah. So um, I think that my earlier statement was flawed. (laughs) (laughs) The majority of people should have the ability to get into those positions, and they just don't. And these two women, like, fought for it.
1: They did. They absolutely fought for it. And also, like, I felt like they were both so othered, which, like, you don't think about in terms of like well like i feel like from like our perspective it's like what do you mean you're all indian Mm -hmm. and there's like no there is some stuff going on here that like you have no idea about Mm -hmm. you know so like even though like sonia is feeling othered in like a very like understandable way it's like oh yeah like you didn't speak english until you were nine years old like you your parents were from here you didn't know all these references like yeah of course you feel othered. but with silk it's like but why but they did because it's non-white versus white it's you know poor versus rich it's all the classic tropes but like nobody understands what's going on in your corner of the world except for you but there are people in no matter if you fit in on the surface exactly okay you can still feel othered right you know and I feel like there's so many people that experience that like there might be a young, wealthy, white lad at Princeton right now who doesn't feel like he quite belongs. (laughs) Well, there are. Because there are. Because everyone is different. We just want to put people in boxes. And, like, I mean, it's also, like, I mean, the
0: majority of school shootings happen from young white men. Yeah. And it's, like, that's a group of people who are, like, you're so successful. You're so fine. Mm -hmm. You're okay. And it's, like, well, no, some of us aren't okay, yeah. actually. Some yeah. of us are falling victim to drug addiction. Some of us are, you know, going into schools with weapons and murdering people. Like, yeah.
1: you can't box people in. No, and that's why I felt like people did this suck They're like, what do you mean you're depressed? Like, you're a famous movie star. You're who, beautiful. like, beautiful. beautiful. And, like, literally all of our husbands are lusting after you. And she's right. like... It doesn't like everybody's got their shit. And right. I feel like that is such the point of like so many of our stories where it's like everybody's got their shit. Everybody feels like they shouldn't be at a place at some point and like I don't know. And I just I think about both of them too and the fact that like they didn't feel like they belonged, but they persisted and then they also like lost their lives for their jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Sonia was told like you can't go on vacations to Italy with clients anymore, like you can't do that anymore. You can't just go hang out with people like you're judged. Like your life will have to change. You this know, this is your life now. This is your life now, and that is like also a thing that like Silk experienced. And, like, and she literally physically lost her life because like she felt so isolated and right. away, and like.
0: And Sonia talks about feeling isolated. Yeah. Like, I'm sure for a while was a judge. And, like, she dated lawyers for a while, and then she was like, I'm not dating lawyers. And then, like, at some point in, like, the 90s, she was engaged to, like, a construction foreman, and then, like, it didn't work out. Mm. And it's just, like, I think she just – it seemed like both of them wanted this, like, thing that society was like, no – well, the problem with a working woman like Sonia is, like, no, if you are going to be the working woman, you can't be married with kids. You can't have both the dreams. And with Silk, it was like, if you're going to be sexy, you can't also be a serious actress with, like, Shakespeare credentials. I don't know. What's the Shakespeare of India? I don't know. I don't. Whatever poetry. (laughs) The Upanishads. You You can't act in the Upanishad epic poems.
1: Yeah. Good luck. On that right. One.
0: Anybody from India, tell me how right or wrong
2: I am.
1: But but yeah, I think I think you're right, and I, I am personally shocked that like this pairing actually came up with a wealth of conversation. <laughs> Listen, me too. I was
0: like, oh, I'm a little nervous
2: about this one. <laughs> I'm
1: always
0: I'm always shocked that we do anything well. <laughs> so here we are. Um, okay. Are you
1: ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? Okay.
0: So I just want to toast to people who have whirlwind lives. (sighs) I can't comprehend... What she has done so far and what she had done by the time she was 36. Like, I'm almost 36. And (sighs) I'm clearly not being nominated as a judge. Nor do I want to be. But still. (laughs) Um, And just some people never stop and just energize their bunnies, man. Like, do it. Cheers to them. What would you like to toast?
1: I'm going to toast the women you might hate, but you kind of want to be. Silk is one of those women that it was really easy for other women to hate her. She's this sexy girl with big boobs who's probably good at sex and you think that she's going to steal your husband. But the fact is, there's probably really just like a confidence or a sense of freedom that we're a little jealous of. And mm-hmm. I think it's okay to feel jealous sometimes, but remember that those girls are still people with feelings regardless of how you perceive them. So I'm going to toast the hot chicks because if your husband cheats on you, it's because he's an asshole. Right.
0: <laughs> That's my everybody pees mentality.
1: Exactly. <laughs> All um, right. My God, what do you want to promo? I mean, I feel like it's obvious I'm going to promo Slumdog Millionaire. How can you not? <laughs> it's so good. Man, it's well, one I, of the few this, movies I've Watched multiple times that isn't a rom-com. I
0: can't watch it again. i watched, watched it once. Really? I can't watch it again. I've
1: watched it three times. I'll watch
0: it with my kids when they're ready, yeah. which is probably like next year. But like spooning someone's eyeball out, I'm not yeah. here for that.
1: I literally watched it on the plane to India. And I was like, was this a mistake? And it was. Mm-hmm. But it's fine because I had a great time and I didn't get my eyeball spooned out. But I was like, wow, is really <laughs> intense. I could not with that. Like there was a lot of that movie. I was like, holy hell. Yeah, (laughs) I could not. God, It's such a good movie. And it's It's so good. One of those movies, if you haven't seen it, it is so important to see. Yes.
0: And some of the actors can't speak English. Yeah. Like they were just learned their lines phonetically. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Also, Dev Patel is like so perfect. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with him.
0: Yeah. He's beautiful and
1: great. Mm. Okay. And what? his
0: spot in the item number. <laughs> hey, Aaron, <laughs> I can't.
1: Jai what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay.
0: I think everybody needs to find a good strapless bra. Oh. So interesting. I've always been very anti-strapless bras. Okay. Um because like either A, I felt like they were like you had to pull them up all day because they're loose, or B, they're like so tight that you can't get look, the
1: overfill. Yeah, there's like overfill
0: yep. and it's like a gap it's like muffin top of the boob. Um but mm-hmm. I think if you like really invest in finding a good one, and I was feeling it this summer because I'm so tired of looking at myself and like a uh, racer back tank top or it like your thing. and my bra is just kind of mm-hmm. always out and I was like I've I used to so I take a paper clip and like you like I Allie, when through. was the
1: last time you bought a bra because literally all of them have just a clip sewn into them now no i don't have that (laughs) i don't have that katie all of my bras have it and it's actually really annoying because like my hair gets caught in it oh that's funny mine's (laughs) never done
0: that because i don't have that i've had one bra that has a clip in the back which has been great for that those tank tops but i used to use a paper clip you weave around and push down but i just like finding a good strapless bra is really important to have in your in your uh repertoire
1: i agree i um yeah. It is hard though, because I'm so worried about the, uh, the muffin top, like actual like top of the body muffin top. Like, well,
0: and it's, it's, it's funny. so hard. My, um, my little sister went to Victoria's secret one time to get like a measured mm. and they were I like, You need
1: to do that.
0: And when you actually get measured, they're really super helpful there. They were like, you have a lot of like, I don't want to call it fat, but I mean, it's what it is, breast tissue yeah. under your armpits. Uh-huh. So they told her, like, you need a bra that kind of cups outward because <sighs> what it does is it, when you have a bra that's in here, it gives you that muffin top over your arm. So your breast tissue goes pretty far back. And a lot of people with, like, smaller boobs, like, I don't know, like, it changes your cup size.
1: Isn't that crazy? Muffin top is all that. good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no no, I couldn't not sing it. <laughs> you had but to. I'm fascinated by that because I've always wanted to get fitted. Yeah. Because I feel like I've been wearing the wrong bra size for a hundred years. Yeah,
0: and they're very <laughs> and they're very conscientious and super kind at of Victoria's Secret. Yeah. Like any, I'll be in there shopping for like some pajama shorts and they'll come up and they'll be like can I touch you? they're like they're so
1: kind. Oh my god. Also, just to bring it back around to Miranda. It's one of my favorite scenes in Sex in the City when she cries to the woman who's fitting her bra after her mom dies. And yeah. my motherboard myself. It's perfect. One of the best episodes ever of Sex in the City.
0: Listen, the passion. Listen. <laughs> Listen to us.
1: If you're still here. If you're still here in season three of Sex in the City. Um okay. All right. I think that's it. That's
0: it. Okay. <laughs> Love us. Like us everywhere.
1: Please do. Um, We have Patreon. We have Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have LinkedIn. We have LinkedIn if you like that. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a business bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bad-ass if you're business Kelly bitch. business bitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, just find us everywhere. Hang out with us. We love talking to you. Even if we don't get back right away, it's because Allie does really all the hard. work and I do nothing. We really try hard. Um, <laughs> oh. Allie tries so hard. Because <laughs> I'm afraid to talk to anyone. Um, hey, so... listen. Everybody <laughs>
0: motivated.
1: Oh, wait. No, that wasn't the sentence.
0: Everybody who's now dead on Mount Everest was once super motivated. So... Pause. You don't need to
1: be. I'm not going to lie. That was really motivational to me. Um, you don't need to be dead also, on Also, <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave you all with another motivational thing I heard this week, which was when someone's saying no to you, they're saying yes to themselves. Oh, Beautiful. oh, I was like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're saying yes to themselves. That's such a great because it's also not like when you're saying no to someone, you're saying yes to yourself. It's like you need to understand that about other people. It's like when they're saying no to you they're saying yes to themselves and everybody should say yes to themselves. So like I heard that and it actually changed my life recently. So <laughs> really good. Um, it's great. So just keep that in mind, be compassionate, be caring, give us five stars on Apple iPods cast if you want to. Um, Not a sentence, that's fine. And we love you so much. We do. And don't forget that well-behaved women
0: always use slang words incorrectly.
1: That's true. And they rarely make history. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.